I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Merlin, and this is Kill My Darlings, an interactive fantasy writing podcast. It is your destiny to listen to this episode. Hello, I'm Hayden Rogers, and I'm really excited because this week we get stuck into some good old-fashioned world building. Now that we've covered the basics of what kind of story I want to tell, it's time to talk about everyone's favourite thing. Magic. Of course, forever disclaimer, everything in this episode is subject to and probably likely to change because that's kind of the whole point. But first, there were a few great comments on the blog this week and actually from last week. So both Laura and Alan wrote into the blog last week and this week with great feedback. Laura offered a lot of encouragement, which was super nice, but also kindly pointed out that I used the term differently abled to refer to disabled people. She explained that the term, while seemingly nice, actually minimizes the experience of disabled people because they don't have the same capabilities as abled people. Disabled is not a dirty word that we have to pretty up to use. So apologies if anyone else was taken aback by my use of the term differently abled, and I'll be sure to use the term disabled from here on out. Laura also won her darling killing badge on the week two blog when she pointed out that Pharaoh, which you might remember is a potential name I'd flagged for my main character in last week's episode, is the term for pigs giving birth. So do you think that's a reason enough to get rid of the name? Uh, Let me know. I certainly have been given pause by Laura's excellent darling killing. Alan offered fantastic insight across both weeks. He was another person, I think basically everyone now has said this in some way, who expressed a great interest in the presence of other races. And again, like others, really enjoys finding out more about them and their cultures. So this is why feedback is so great and important because now I'm really considering the idea of more races. Um, Also, it's just really exciting to see this project already kind of doing its thing, you know, um, helping shape the ideas. In week two, Alan said, at one hand, having multiple main characters is risky in the sense that the reader will likely have favorites, which also means that when the story focuses on protagonists they have no interest in, they might feel tempted to skip it. However, I think that's just multiplying the risk you take with any protagonist, really. There is also the chance that they love all main characters. So I thought that was great, and I hadn't considered it like that particularly, but then I remembered never liking the parts of Lord of the Rings, which focused on Frodo and Sam. So um, if you're writing multiple storylines, you have to work to make each just as interesting as the others. 
Also, I have to tell you, the other day on socials, I posted a collection of these amazing warrior women illustrations by an artist called Yael Nathan. Um, she draws women of all shapes and shades into the role of a warrior in like a fantasy setting. Um, so you have to see these. They are like echoes of everything we've spoken about for the last two weeks. And her work is just gorgeous. I think they're on all of the platforms that I have. So take your pick. And of course, you can join in with any of these conversations on social media. Um, just search for Kill My Darlings podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or of course, the blog where all the magic happens. Though, stick around at the end because I do have to tell you about some changes to the blog. But for now, onwards. Magic is at the centre of almost any fantasy novel. Our characters use it, worlds are imbued with it, creatures are formed by it. It can be a mystical and mysterious force, secret esoteric knowledge for a chosen few, or a commonplace part of everyday life. Let's talk about what angle I'm going for. For starters, in my world magic is integrated into society and daily life. Anyone has the capacity to use magic, and as such, it has permeated into the way that society has been built. People use it domestically. It's used in all kinds of work and has naturally created new professions. There are laws about magic and magical punishments. I didn't actually set out to form my magic like this, but it really just came together this way because it seemed to make the most sense when I considered what magic in my world actually is. Before I continue, I feel like I need to come up with a working title for this world. Otherwise, I'm going to end up saying my world um, endlessly, and I'm already sick of it. I can't think of anything right now off the top of my head, but how about you decide? Um, I will make a post on the social accounts for you to pass on your suggestions. I guess if you're listening to this, then there's probably a post there now. So go and suggest and save me from this hell. Anyway, magic. So to explain how I arrived at magic being a ubiquitous skill, I have to explain what magic is in my world. Oh, my world. Oh. Um, help me. Um, I got thinking about the idea of magic and how in most instances it is an unexplained mystical force. It just is. You don't need to know how it works or why it works. It just does. And it's cool. Even if there is a reason behind it, it is usually equally mystical. But being overly analytical, I decided that I needed to know a little more. And since I'm allegorizing the real world for this story, I wondered what fantasy magic would be if it was real. The answer was energy. Everything in our universe is made of energy. Even the space between things is made of energy, so magic would be like another element on the periodic table or the stuff that all stuff is made from. Magic in my world exists almost as a subatomic particle or zero-point energy that moves in and around everything. Which, of course, is not a super new concept. Um, we've all heard of the Force in Star Wars, which is described in a similar way. It obviously produces different and specific effects, but the concept is kind of the same. I'm sure there's a bunch of other examples too, and let me know if you have one that comes to mind. (laughs) 
However, to that end, if magic is tangible energy and not mystical, then there must be a natural system through which people or beings that use and manipulate magic can control it, right? Well, unless they have magic devices that do that for them, like wands. But though I definitely want to explore the idea of wands, I don't want people to rely on them necessarily. So again, what would that natural magic control system be like if we bring it back into the real world? We would have a world in which life as we know it has always been influenced by the energy of magic. Well, in the real world, everything is influenced by its environment through the process of evolution. We have seen examples of animals that have changed their color or organs or beaks or shells to better survive. And of course, we believe that the human mind has greatly evolved over time and can evolve further. So it stands to reason that in a world where other creatures and the environment are able to interact with magic, other races, such as humans, would have biologically attuned in some way to be able to compete. Which leads me to the idea that magic is almost like a psychic mental development linking races and creatures with magical energy. Like they've developed a part of the brain which can interact with magic. Interestingly, I hadn't thought of this until now, but since a lot of evolutionary mutations are brought on by natural selection, meaning uh, survival of the fittest or basically that members of a species who weren't adapting died, there may be an interesting tidbit of ancient history to explore and create in the past of the human race or any other race in my world in which they were being eliminated by other creatures or something, kind of like if humans and dinosaurs were living at the same time. Just something to think about. However, does this evolution theory then mean that only intelligent creatures have developed this means of manipulating magic? It seems that consciously manipulating magic would be a skill learned by only the most intelligent of creatures. To compare once again to the real world, humans would be the only creatures able to consciously manipulate magic on a high level. But then other creatures like dolphins, chimps, pigs, cats, dogs, elephants, and some bird species like crows may also have a limited ability to consciously manipulate magical energy. It's humans and races on that level which have that ability, followed by, I imagine, a bunch of creatures I'll make up. A tropey creature that comes to mind is, of course, dragons, which in high fantasy are often able to speak common languages, are much smarter than humans and the like, and are even the original users or creators of magic in some worlds. But that actually makes me think, yeah, what if humans aren't the biggest fish in the sea? I don't know. And what about creatures who aren't able to consciously manipulate magic? They still have to survive in a world where the top of the food chain can use it. So what do they do about it? Well, much like the real world creatures I mentioned before, they would probably change their biology to adapt. And because this is fantasy, and also magic is a bit of a wild card, which makes a lot of impossible things possible, these adaptions wouldn't be small tweaks. They'd be big changes, which in turn would have pushed forward the evolution of more intelligent human-like species. Just because we mentioned dragons, let's use that as an example. We have a region in which cows are being hunted by fire-breathing dragons. So the species adapts to have magical fur, which is fire-resistant. Or they become amphibious, 
learning a magical means of creating air bubbles around their heads in order to swim away in nearby streams. Or they magically adapt to fly, or travel at incredible speeds, or turn invisible. And then, of course, people would want to use the super-fast cows for transport, or wear their fire-resistant or invisible furs. And thus, on the spot, we have just created a very cute piece of world-building. Folks, I'm actually really into this evolution thing. Like, as I've been saying this, I've been thinking, what if I go full, like, alternate magical reality with this? What if all the creatures in this world are, like, magical adaptations or evolutions of species we know and love? Maybe dolphins and chimps could actually be taught to cast certain spells with their intelligence. Um, Not saying that there couldn't also be original creatures or even old classics like dragons, because... I love dragons, but I am loving this idea. Like, you've had me at amphibious, invisible cows. I'm into it. Um, but what do you think? Also, seriously, help me out with the suggestions for the working title of My World, because it's killing me and also is so confusing when comparing it to Real World. Magic in my world is actually a natural phenomenon rather than a supernatural force. Therefore, there must be a naturally occurring magical ecosystem. To borrow a law from real-world physics, conservation of energy means the amount of energy remains constant and energy is neither created nor destroyed. Applying that to magical energy, there must be a system by which it is recycled, almost like a magical water cycle. Water is evaporated into clouds, which rain it down to the earth, where it refills bodies of water and nourishes living things before it is evaporated once again. It just so happens that I have come up with such a thing, but we've kind of run out of time for this week. And also, I haven't decided whether I should tell you yet. No, but there is so much more to tell you about magic and how it works in society and how exactly people use it and the different names for magical people and all that good stuff, but we'll get through it eventually. It's worth saying at this point, as you listen to this podcast, you are going to perhaps find out more about this world than you ever would have reading the novel alone. Not to mention, not having written this novel yet or even started writing, really, it's safe to say that you'll probably learn things that would have been surprises in the plot. It's impossible for me to avoid that and share this process with you, no matter how hard I try. So, lucky you. (laughs) Also, I want to stress, although a lot of this episode has been revolving around a lot of science talk, I'm not going for a science fiction vibe in this novel. I'm very firmly sticking to the fantasy adventure genre. You and I are just talking about magic as if we are gods creating this world. So, we know all the secrets and the bare clinical facts about magic. I think sometimes in world building, you have to go to a very structural and pragmatic place with your creations to test them and make sure they work logically. It's not the most romantic relationship, but it means that other people reading your work can get caught up in their love affair with your story. I'm sure you've experienced that moment when reading something where you're stopped by the thought, hang on, that doesn't actually make sense. Now, this week, I have decided to write a short story that tests the idea of animals that have adapted through magical evolution to better survive. The story is entitled 
lumber rabbits. Can you tell what direction they've headed? Embry called out in her sing-song voice. She had been patiently waiting, perched on a boulder, absent-mindedly playing with her long braid of auburn hair. Meanwhile, her companion, Vila, had been on her hands and knees about fifty paces away, scouring the forest floor for signs of their quarry. The trees were sparse, and the afternoon light was scattered brightly around them, so Embry could easily make out Vila's strong frame. Her dark brown face, topped with extremely short white hair, was almost comical to watch, turning back and forth erratically as she shifted along the ground. They couldn't have been more different in comparison, Embry had once thought, considering her small, short frame and pale complexion. But since they'd gotten to know each other over the years, she'd realised there was plenty that they had in common outside of the obvious. And in fact, that's why they were both here, in this forest, tracking a drove of lumber rabbits. Definitely this way, Vila called back in a shouted whisper. Although I'm not sure yet how close we are to their warren. Embry stood, brushing off her trousers and straightening her jacket before slinging her pack over her shoulder and heading off towards her friend. Well, we better get a move on then. The afternoon is getting later. We don't want to be caught out here. I just want to make sure I don't scare them away by stomping into their home territory. Of course, but I know if you can't tell yet if we're close, then we mustn't be. You'll know. At this, Vila stopped searching for imperceptible clues and got to her feet. Throwing her hands up casually, she replied, Fine, yes, you're right, of course. Well, the trail is definitely this way. She pointed through the trees into denser forest. Lead the way, Embry said, gesturing in the same direction. Vila began weaving her way forward, quite cat-like, treading carefully with her face darting to and fro, scrutinising the twigs and soft earth for signs Embry could never hope to see. It was hard to move quickly in this way, and Embry watched the deepening slant of sunlight through leaves with nervous anticipation. Every so often, Vila would stop to inspect something that had caught her keen eye, and Embry would kindly encourage her to keep moving. Finally, with the light starting to take on an orange glow, Vila found what she was looking for, examining a patch of thick, wet moss growing on top of a fallen tree. We're close, Vila spoke in a low, serious voice, but Embry recognised excitement behind it. Fantastic, how far off? See there. Vila pointed to a gap in the trees further on where the light was brighter. That's it. I'm sure of it. That should break through to a clearing. That's where they'll be. Fantastic, I'll follow your lead. Vila started towards the supposed clearing, moving very low to the ground. Embry tried to tread exactly in her footprints as they'd done many times before. Soon they could see the gap ahead certainly did open out. Vila, who was a little ahead, gasped. Embry, it's here, she whispered excitedly. They exchanged a joyous look before continuing their careful path, both fighting the urge to run closer. After a few excruciatingly slow moments, Embry could finally see it. There, ahead of them in the deep orange light of sunset, was an enormous earth structure. It was easily the size of a house and made of several large mounds of compressed dirt formed around thick logs of fallen trees, which crossed through the mounds at odd angles. Around the base, there were a number of entry burrows. Looking at it was strangely like stumbling across a homely cottage in the woods. 
Embry was now standing beside Vila, squeezing her friend's forearm to express her excitement as quietly as possible. Oh, look, they made the clearing themselves. Those logs in the warren are what's left of them. Yes, you can see where one used to be rooted over there. The structure is so interesting, I have to sketch this. Embry took out her pad and pencil and began madly drawing. She was starting a second sketch when Vila's hand snapped over hers to stop the movement. Don't move. The way she said it made Embry freeze with fear. She didn't dare look up from the page. There's a tree fox above us. Three o'clock. I don't think he's spotted us. Vila was hardly making a sound, whispering in Embry's ear. Embry unbowed her head one tendon at a time until she was looking up at the treetops on her right. Sure enough, there in the branches stood an orange-furred beast that would have come up to her hip in height, its large curled claws clinging to the bark, holding its thin but powerful body in a crouch. The reason Embry had watched the setting sun with such anxiety. Tree foxes were known for hunting when the light bathing the forest made their orange fur a perfect camouflage. It must have been waiting to pounce on some unsuspecting rabbits. We have to leave, Vila breathed. Half distracted, Embry did just as she was told and took a step backward. Immediately, her heart dropped as a loud snap came from the small branch she'd just stepped on. The tree fox's eyes snapped to their position instantly and it lurched forward, scrambling down the trunk of the tree. Leaping once it was low enough, it landed firmly on the earth and headed straight for them. Vila drew a dagger with one hand and shoved Embry back behind her with the other. The tree fox snarled, baring fangs. Vila shouted a guttural cry in return. The tree fox held back and began circling the pair. Vila crouched low and cat-like, making growling sounds matching the creature. Always she kept herself and her dagger between the tree fox and Embry. She knew it would take any opportunity to reach her smaller friend. The tree fox stopped, still bearing fangs but silent. It was sizing them up, waiting for the precise moment to lunge for Vila's throat. Suddenly, a great creaking and cracking came from a nearby tree as it came crashing down between Vila and the fox. Then, from the other side, another, this time narrowly missing the beast. Then, two from behind them. Embry screamed as she stumbled out of their path. Both slammed down precisely where the fox had been, so that, in only a few seconds, all four trees had fallen to the ground. The tree fox narrowly dodged out of the path of the last two, scrambling atop the trunks and leaping back into a nearby tree. It looked back at Vila, snarling, when the tree it was now clinging to also gave way and began toppling. With a yelp, the fox started launching itself between neighbouring trees like a furry acrobat, escaping into the forest. A few moments later, they heard the sounds of a distant tree falling. They were silent, hearts beating. Embry felt frozen to the spot with shock. Vila turned slowly, and seeing tears welling in her friend's eyes, she hugged her tightly. Sobs of relief bubbled out of Embry's throat, and they stood together for a moment, just appreciating their lives. Embry's head, which was hanging over Vila's shoulder, perked up, and she quietly gasped. Vila turned, half expecting to see the tree fox had returned, but instead she saw what they had really come here for. 
Large brown rabbits were emerging from the entrance burrows around the base of the huge earthen warren. They hopped quickly towards the pair of women. Embry was once again squeezing Vila's arm with excitement, the fear ebbing away as they looked on in wonder. The rabbits reached the fallen trees and began their work. Hopping up into the branches, they used their powerful gnawing teeth to start trimming the branches away from the trunk. Other rabbits dragged those branches away and trimmed off the luscious sprays of leaves, which were then taken back to the warren for eating. And more rabbits, working in teams, began gnawing through the thick trunks. Perhaps they would use some of these trees in constructing their warren, or others might be moved into the forest to make a barrier of logs. They saved us, whispered Embry with complete joy, and we got to see them felling trees to protect themselves. It's incredible. Look at how they're working together to prepare the trunks. You should sketch this, Vila replied. No, I'll sketch later. Right now, I just want to enjoy this. So, as usual, I want to know what you think. The format of this episode was slightly different this week. It was more of a ramble. So I want to hear your thoughts on magic as a form of all-pervasive energy, human-like species' ability to psychically interact with magical energy, magical evolution, and the idea of populating the world with magically evolved versions of real-world animals, and if you're generally vibing with my magical science. Also, please, a different name other than my world. If nothing else, please, that. I know it's a lot to ask you to take the time to give me feedback, and I appreciate that, and I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, which is why things have changed slightly now. I have moved the blog from my website to Tumblr. It sucks that I didn't think of this sooner because it makes so much more sense to me. The blog can still be found embedded on haydenrogers.net slash killmydarlings. Um, if that's burned into your memory already, you don't have to uh, learn something new. But you do not have to be a Tumblr user to comment or interact with the blog. Everything is normal. And I've even migrated discussed comments from the original posts to the duplicates on Tumblr. So nothing has been lost. But if you are a Tumblr user, you can now follow Kill My Darlings podcast on Tumblr. It can just be a part of your life there. Also, you'll have the ability to just send asks to give feedback. Having said that, I want you to give feedback on whatever platform works for you. That's why I have them all. So just search for Kill My Darlings podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr, and join in the darling killing. That's all for now. Don't forget to listen to the Appendices episode about magical mythology, and I'll see you soon for some darling killing. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.